This is the Aussie Animal Show on Triple A Radio. Welcome to the wildlife. My name is Rob Armstrong. Production of this program has been severely affected by the flooding in Victoria over the past two weeks. We've been unable to get a program to air. One of the people I'd planned to interview is Nigel Williamson, well known in the Victorian scene for operating Nigel's Animal Rescue, long-time rescuer of animals, including our Australian native wildlife. Unfortunately, due to the extreme flooding, Nigel has been, well, let's just say flat out doing what he does best, rescuing animals. Nigel is involved with an organisation called Warriors for Wildlife. I was hoping to speak to Nigel about an upcoming workshop that's happening on Saturday the 5th of November. I'm just going to have to give you the information and give you a website to go to because Nigel is just too busy to be interviewed. This is a basic online wildlife rescue and transport workshop. It's being held on Saturday the 5th of November. As I said, online, so no excuses for not being involved. 5th of November, Saturday. There's a cost involved, it's $35. The course will run from 1pm to 5pm and as I said, covers basic wildlife rescue and transport details. Warriors for Wildlife, a voluntary organisation heavily involved with supporting wildlife rescue in the state of Victoria. In this workshop, items covered will be transport of wildlife, rescue of native Australian wildlife, handling and capture techniques, which uh, is invaluable to learn, species identification, health and safety, and equipment and so much more. There is a proviso you have to be 18 years or older to attend. So this again, Saturday, the 5th of November, a basic wildlife rescue and transport workshop. The cost is $35. For more information, go to Warriors for the number four, warriorsforwildlife.org, and you'll see the information on the basic wildlife rescue workshop. Now, if you've ever thought you'd like to get involved or just like to enhance your knowledge of how to handle native wildlife in an emergency situation really do recommend this basic workshop as a great starting point Nigel and his team has a lot of experience and will pass that information on to you online so there we have it please this state uh, with the current emergency in place all wildlife rescuers shelters and carers are flat out dealing with the emergencies that have occurred during the flood if you'd like to be involved or just want to see if it's something you'd like to be involved with, I do suggest this basic workshop is a great starting point. Warriorsforwildlife.org. You're doing a great job, Nigel. We're only weeks away from a state election here in Victoria, and there's one party that is at the forefront caring for wildlife shelters, carers and rescuers. It's the Animal Justice Party. I'd like to start the interview tonight speaking with the wonderful Holly Sitters. Now Holly is the AJP candidate in my own electorate. Let's have a chat with Holly. Holly, thank you for taking the time to have a chat with us today. 
Yeah, it's lovely to be here, Rob. Thanks for inviting me. You are standing as the candidate for the Animal Justice Party in Ripon, which happens to be my electorate. So lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. Yeah, and lovely to be to represent the Animal Justice Party in Ripon <laughs> for this very exciting upcoming election. Oh, and it's going to be exciting, um, that's for sure. We've had the pleasure of dealing on air and off air with the wonderful AJP representative that has done a fantastic job, Andy Medic. Every time we've had a problem or needed some information, Andy was always there to do the job. What Andy has been able to achieve during the four years he's been in office is phenomenal, isn't it? And it really shows you, you know, the power, I suppose, of minor parties like the Animal Justice Party. You know, we can we can make tangible change for animals. We haven't seen this before, really, certainly in Victoria. We've certainly benefited. Andy's been a long-time campaigner for us wildlife rescuers, wildlife carers, wildlife shelters, people advocating against what they see as injustice for animals. And the more voices we have in our state government, the more chance we have of getting a reasonable deal for animals. But at the same time, and I think our listeners should be aware that the Animal Justice Party is not a single issue party. They stand for animals, people, and planet. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, while our, while our focus is animals, of course, by tackling animal issues, we're also tackling a range of other issues that are related to the environment, to people, to the economy, to the climate. Just so people can have an idea of where you're coming from, I read that you were involved in wildlife ecology. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So I'm, I'm an ecologist. I've spent 10 years or so um, working at Melbourne Uni, so primarily in the context of fire and the effect that fire has on native wildlife populations. Um, I've recently moved to a national NGO. So again, it's, you know, it's fantastic to, to sort of feel like I can make a, a, a difference to some extent, albeit, you know, the challenges that native wildlife are facing are on my mind every day, as you know, they are with many of us. And of course, you know, it's, it's up and down. Sometimes you just feel like it's an absolutely Herculean task that we're facing. But again, it's like, I think all, all action is good and it, it adds up. Yes, every morning you've got to pull on those boots and go and do the job. <laughs> you sure have. Before we go into wildlife, I, I really don't envy anyone entering into the public life. But recently on social media, I have read some absolutely outrageous statements about the AJ. Can I run three of them past you and get a comment on each one? Please do, Rob. Yeah, go for it. This is the one that gets me the most, that the Animal Justice Party wants to stop the average Victorian owning domestic pets. Is that true? That couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> no, the, um, the Animal Justice Party cherishes the relationships that, you know, many Australians have with their companion animals and, you know, many Animal Justice Party members, MPs, have companion animals of their own. I have Charlie and Judy right here with me. And, you know, they are among the great loves of my life. <laughs> and um, as we've seen from many of the things that Andy Medic has done during his time in office, you know, a, a major priority for us is to improve the lives of companion animals. So through, you know, increased desexing programs, we want to end convenience killing where, you know, council shelters are kill healthy animals because they simply don't have the capacity to home them all and also to make things easier for rescue organisations so that rescues can take animals off councils and then rehome them 
So absolutely, Animal Justice Party completely supports companion animals. And this was highlighted, the link between animals, people, with the work that's been done to establish some assistance for people in domestic violence situation who have family pets. Now, no other party's ever tackled that before. That's right. So many of these, so many of these issues where animals are, you know, a, a key feature. Many people don't leave domestic violence situations because it will mean that they're separated from their animals. And so the work that Andy has done has meant that it's easier to leave domestic violence situations because you can bring your animals with you. Second one. And this one gets me because quite obviously the person who made this statement, and it was repeated by many people, has never been to the website or have a look at your campaigns. They clearly stated, and I'm pretty sure they mistook AJP for another political party here, but they stated, and so many people agreed, that AJP wants to shoot the Brumbies. AJP categorically does not want to shoot the Brumbies. So AJP is opposed to all legal forms of animal population control. However, you know, we also acknowledge that there are some situations where, you know, animal populations are causing problems often to many other species of animal. And so we're considering a range of non-lethal control methods for Brumbies and, you know, for many other animals, foxes, for example, cats, other introduced species. And currently in many other parts of the world, so New Zealand, North America and Europe, there is widespread use of immuno immunocontraceptives and non-surgical sterilants as a means of controlling some populations of animals. And so the idea is that because these populations don't reproduce, the population size will gradually decrease over time. So it doesn't happen overnight, um, but I think there's great potential for it to be a much more effective long-term solution than shooting, which, of course, as we've seen, it's, um, you know, it's a very, very sort of short-term measure. It doesn't actually get to the heart of the problem. And so we advocate non-lethal forms of control. And, you know, there are a range of others like rehoming. Of course, it's challenging, but it's doable, especially if it's, you know, very well-resourced, such that the onus doesn't end up on the people that, you know, take take on the horses, you know, they need to be supported sufficiently. And fencing is another, you know, great solution in certain circumstances. And yeah, there are there are just a bunch of non-lethal solutions, I think, which, you know, all, all that's needed is a bit of support, a bit of a bit of funding to get them off the ground. And I think that they could be much more successful alternative to shooting and other forms of lethal control. The easiest way for a department to move forward is to shoot from helicopters, from mobile platforms. And in the past, we've seen this result in huge amounts of injured animals left out there to die slowly, mares being shot and their foals being left uh, to suffer dehydration and deprivation and uh, slowly die. No, there are alternatives. There are wonderful Brumby groups out there who rehome, rehabilitate and get those horses into good caring families. The last one, Holly, because I'm taking up all your time, but the last one isn't on the website because it's that stupid. Two different conversations on two different occasions. People clearly stated that they know the AJP is a branch of PETA, P-E-T-A. Now, I don't know if that's supposed to be an insult. I'd take that as a, um, a credit, a, a pat on the back. But it's just not true, is it? 
No, it's not true at all. So as you know, Rob, AJP is a political party and is completely independent from PETA and, you know, many, many other organisations that are, of course, doing absolutely brilliant work for animals. And so I'm sure many AJP members, you know, have also supported many PETA actions, but certainly the two organisations are completely separate. Let's not spend any more time on that. That is just so <laughs> stupid. It really is, honestly. <laughs> Wildlife issues. Uh, the one that's biggest to me personally is the commercial killing of kangaroos for the pet food industry. Yeah, that is, you know, again, it, it, I find it challenging because there are so many extremely important issues, but that's very dear to my heart as well. Um, I think sort of being based in country Victoria, having many friends who live in more rural areas than I do, you know, they're, they're awakened every night by gunshots. And in the morning, they're faced with scenes of absolute carnage. And so, yeah, this to me is definitely a top priority. We need to stop stop the killing of kangaroos. Again, as an ecologist, I see things from, you know, the, I guess the two main sides. Firstly, the suffering is just appalling. And, you know, I suppose for me that that should be enough. Like, you see the suffering that is involved here and you, you stop it. But, of course, in the world that we live in, that is apparently not enough. And so, you know, the data associated with, kangaroo numbers across the state is a critical issue. We don't currently have reliable numbers on kangaroos across the state. And of course, it seems extremely likely that they are declining very rapidly. There's certainly, you know, lo lots of people I've spoken to have said that they used to have a mob of, you know, 30, 40 kangaroos. They would see them all the time, but now they very rarely see a kangaroo. And so, you know, to we don't want we don't want to lose this species. <laughs> you know, kangaroos are clearly iconic, like they're on our national emblem. And again, that also seems like a reason which you would we would think would be sufficient to put an end to it. Logic doesn't apply here. And the biggest problem is it takes uh, twelve months for data to become available. In that time, uh, the kangaroos are still being shot. Thank goodness. What happens is it's harder for the killers to find the kangaroos. So the actual death rate drops, but we are damaging the genetic fitness of the animal for its own natural environment. And that's my biggest personal concern. Let's jump onto another one. People are sick and tired of the department spreading 1080 poison all over the countryside because of secondary poisoning. Yeah, absolutely. Again, 1080 is another of my top priorities to address. Um, you may be aware that Andy introduced a debate for the banning of 1080 in Parliament quite recently, a few months ago. Um, the debate was postponed to allow um, sufficient time to, I think, um, I don't know, provide further information or something. But Andy has certainly put this at the top of his agenda in Parliament, which is extremely exciting. Because again, the suffering, you know, associated with 1080 poisoning is horrific. It takes 24 hours for animals to die, and it's an excruciating death. And we have we have alternatives. We don't need to rely on these toxic metabolic poisons anymore. All we need is that political will to ban the use of it and to support, you know, development of suitable alternatives, which are again likely to be much more effective long-term solutions. The straightforward, simplistic approach has failed. I'm throwing 1080 poison around the countryside. Out here, there's certain areas of Ripon where very large scale 1080 campaigns have been waged. Oh, my goodness. So all the animals that would naturally hunt and kill and control rabbits are being killed by the 1080 poison as well. Yeah. And, and the biggest drop 
that is immediately uh, visible by locals is we lose our eagles, our beloved wedge tails. Yeah. That's right. And that, as you've said, disrupts the whole balance, the whole ecological balance. Yeah, I think it was Philip Wallen who described 1080 as a vile, indiscriminate atrocity. And, you know, it clearly is. I couldn't agree more. Um, it really needs to go. Yeah, there's so many other alternatives. And, and I'm not talking about dropping a poison that has no antidote for one that has an antidote, because as we all know, by the time the animal is discovered, it's too late for vitamin K injection. That, that animal's dead and gone. And that could be your beloved family pet. Marama dogs have been suitable, yeah, for protecting sheep. Again, I think the solutions are out there. Um, we just need to, it's a, I think it's partly a cultural thing, isn't it? There's just this sort of tradition that this is what we do. We just scatter this poison and it's just a, a band-aid at best. The last wildlife issue I'd like to get a comment from, this is, and this is just so that people listening to this program tonight can hear how lucky we are to have a candidate such as you standing in my electorate because we've been dealt a pretty bad deal in this electorate in past years. So wonderfully lucky to have a candidate who is not only sympathetic but, you know, <laughs> shows some intelligence. Because Thanks, It's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm just... So excited that we have candidates across the whole state this year. Oh, time. yeah. What a result. And your next door neighbor, next electorate over, Georgie Purcell. If the two of you get in, what a couple of running mates that will make. <laughs> yeah, Georgie is brilliant. Uh, mentioning Georgie, of course, I first met Georgie as a part of the anti duck hunting campaign, CADS, the organization against the recreational shooting of waterbirds. Does this activity have a place in the 21st century, Holly? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a place in several other states in this country. It's been banned in Queensland, New South Wales, West. And, you know, I think that we, we tend to consider Victoria as a reasonably progressive state. And yet here we are obviously lagging way behind and it is well overdue a ban on the entire activity, <laughs> for want of a better word. Look, we're probably down to 0.02% of the population that engage in duck shooting. It's time for it to go. And look, look, I think certain parties are afraid there's going to be a backlash. Our politicians interstate said once we banned it, the shooters sent it letters for a week and then it was all over. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, generally, the ramifications of these things are quite short term. And as you say, in this case, you know, we're talking about a, a tiny proportion of voters. And so, again, it's just, it's a no-brainer, isn't it, really? It's just got to, we've just got to see it. End. Thank you for giving me time. We're getting close to the election. Is there a final message you'd like to give to our listeners? I suppose the final point that I would make was that, is that the Animal Justice Party is focused on preventing suffering of, for all animals. So introduced species, native species. And the Animal Justice Party is the only party that sees the climate emergency, for example, as part of not only an environmental justice issue, but also a social justice issue. And AJP also views us as part of an interconnected system involving animals, people and the planet. Holly, thank you very much. Thank you, Rob. Great to talk to you. For more information, go to vic.animaljusticeparty.org. Vic.animaljusticeparty.org. We'll continue with our AJP candidates. 
This candidate is well known to many Victorians involved in wildlife issues. I'm speaking with the wonderful Georgie Purcell. I speak to Georgie about a call from the AJP for a moratorium on the killing of kangaroos, both in the commercial pet food industry and also the authority to control wildlife permit system. The floods have taken a toll on our kangaroos, this time for a moratorium. Let's hear from Georgie. You've called for a moratorium on killing of kangaroos. Can you tell us what that's about? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I don't believe that these programs should exist at all in the first place. In Victoria, we have the commercial uh, kangaroo slaughter, which kills tens of thousands of kangaroos every year and injures many more and leaves thousands of joeys orphaned. But particularly right now, it's incredibly important to have a moratorium on our wildlife culling programs because they are suffering immeasurably across Victoria, particularly Northern Victoria, where I'm running as an Animal Justice Party candidate because of the floods. So just today, I've received correspondence from a shelter in Shepparton, which is struggling in the floods, and they're seeing whole mobs of kangaroos and their joeys in pouch wiped down and killed. So I mean, during the bushfires, we were able to secure a moratorium on kangaroo slaughter then. We believe this is no different. Our wildlife are in absolute crisis. And if we don't do something about it now, we could be risking reaching a situation where they never recover. I recently saw on one of the TV news the rescue of a wallaby from swamp waters. And the SES and the local uh, officers were obviously not trained in handling wildlife because I was just yelling at the screen, cover its head, cover its head, reduce its stress. I think once this is all over, a few organisations should get together and try and get some basic wildlife handling skills in there for the people who are doing such a wonderful job on the front line in these floods. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. We're receiving a lot of concerning reports about well-meaning passers-by and locals trying to help wildlife, but the biggest risk right now is actually chasing wildlife by trying to help them into floodwaters and they may drown because they're obviously uh, going without water, they're fatigued, they're scared. So in our effort to help them, we could actually be putting them at more risk. So we've been really trying to make a concerted effort of encouraging people to call in wildlife cases to the experienced local wildlife rescuers. But I think the point you make, Rob, is a really important one for something that I want to campaign on and will work really hard to implement if I'm elected to parliament, it's that we need a more uh, professionalised and formalised system of wildlife rescue because whenever there's an emergency situation, we deploy all these professional services like uh, firefighters and SES and, and ambulance workers and all of our wildlife rescue uh, volunteers here in Victoria are perfectly equipped to do that job. Um, but as I say, they are volunteers. So we're often scrambling to pull things together. And I really think that these people who are providing what is essentially a community service, they're not just keeping wildlife safe, they're keeping uh, public roads and spaces safe. They deserve to have a more professionalised structure and more support from the government to be able to do what they do. So things like paying for their costs, Um, which, you know, mostly come out of 
pocket, I know you'd understand that better than anyone, Rob, and giving them the support they need to do the work that they do to help our community, whether that be travel allowances, whether it be payments, and whether it importantly be mental health support, because we need to remember that these wildlife rescuers are seeing very, very confronting things right now and often return back from it um, and are expected to just move on, and it can be very, very difficult. On this program, we had an interesting chat with Wild Talk that offer counselling, free counselling for all those involved with wildlife in any shape or form. So that is very important, Georgie. It was something you did mention, and I think a lot of people may have missed it. In certain parts of Victoria, we're in danger of losing a whole generation of the young because the uh, mothers may have survived the floodwaters, but the joeys drowned in pouch. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I was contacted by a uh, shelter in Northern Victoria today about a mob of kangaroos in Shepparton where they had uh, joeys in pouch, some of them uh, very, very young, some of them pinkies that have, their parents have survived, their mothers have survived, but they have drowned um, in the pouch, which is just completely devastating to think of. And it really, I think, proves the point of why we need this moratorium on slaughtering kangaroos, because we're not just losing adult kangaroos that can be shot under this program. We're losing the kangaroos that are going to be adults in a few years' time that will, again, be at risk of the commercial kangaroo slaughter program. And I think it really demonstrates just how quickly and rapidly we can lose our kangaroo numbers here in Victoria and across the country. And we are running the very real risk of shooting them into extinction. And the government just doesn't seem to want to realise that. Friends just travelled back from the Mallee and didn't see one kangaroo. It's becoming a more and more common story. I mean, our Animal Justice Party MP, in New South Wales, one of our MPs there, Mark Pearson, ran a survey on road users who travel across the country. And there are many reports of people not seeing a single kangaroo except for ones that are dead on the road. And we can just do so much better than that. And we really need to protect these populations before it's too late. The kangaroo industry has done an amazing job at making us think they're pests and not native animals. We wouldn't view any other native animal the way that we do kangaroos. And we have a job as animal advocates to flip that narrative back to how it should be. The inquiry in New South Wales just proved how fudged the numbers on kangaroos are in this country. And then there's the authority to control wildlife permits. Now, in a recent interview, one of uh, the people that I was chatting to about this issue stated that right now in Victoria, there are more permits issued to kill red kangaroos than there are red kangaroos in the state. That's right. So we, uh, in our first year in Parliament, actually called the government out on having red kangaroos on the commercial kangaroo program because there was less in the population count that they extrapolate than there was for permits to be given out. And the government removed them from the commercial program then. They've unfortunately since been added back on. But then they have also allowed them to be slaughtered under the authority to control wildlife permit system which is one of the most disgraceful systems that we have in terms of, quote-unquote, managing wildlife in Victoria because it's just a tick-and-flick exercise. The department does nothing to follow up on what efforts landholders have made to um, coexist with wildlife, how they might have tried to move them on in non-lethal methods. They essentially will hand out these permits like candy for landowners to slaughter wildlife themselves with no follow-up and no checking on how it's done. Oh, they do ask over the phone, have you tried all alternatives to killing? And you say, uh, yeah. 
oh, well, that's okay then. (laughs) You've got your permit. How many do you want? That's exactly right. And just I was looking at the data for authority to control wildlife permits just the other day and obviously killing any native animal is disgraceful and, in my opinion, always unnecessary. I really, truly believe we need to learn to coexist with these animals and and appreciate them that, you know, they live here with us too. But some of the animals that are killed under this system include silver eyes, which are tiny, tiny birds, and I just don't understand how they could possibly be such a nuisance to somebody's life that they feel the need to kill them. I saw that list, uh, which the AJP published. I had to go and look up the species were. What did they look like? And the silver eye, I thought, oh, no, that's got to be personal. That's got to be really personal. Someone hates that bird. That's right. They are adorable and they are so small. But they're evil, apparently. I've got no idea. But this is the point. When you look at a number of species that are on that list that are being shot, one or two of them we could say, all right, we could see where there may be conflict in certain areas, but there's always an alternative to the lethal control methods. That's exactly right. And, I mean, when you uh, dive into some of the reasons why these animals are killed, for in some instances it's for things as small as the birds make noise too early in the morning. And that's what I'm getting at when I say we need to learn to coexist with wildlife because in many cases there might not even need to be a non-lethal method to be tried. We need to learn uh, to live with these animals and, and actually appreciate having them on the property. I mean, I live on a rural property. I'm on acreage and I have some very loud birds that make noises at all hours, but you learn to love them and appreciate them as, as part of the um, as part of the local wildlife and one day they will be gone if we keep doing this. Another issue, one of the biggest threats to so many species in this state and I covered this with, uh, in discussion with Holly Sitters in the interview I did with Holly recently. I know the Animal Justice Party have campaigns against 1080 poison. Can I get your personal thoughts on the use of 1080 as a control method? Yeah, I think 1080 poison is one of the uh, most disgraceful methods that we have to kill animals in this state and in this country. It's actually quite appalling when you look at... Uh, the rest of the information around the world. We're one of the only countries that still allows the use of 1080 poison and it causes the most excruciating death that you could ever imagine to an animal. And the most, uh, I think, distressing thing is that there's no antidote to 1080. So you hear the stories of um, many, many animals suffering and particularly it comes through in the case where Uh, domestic animals will uh, ingest it so dogs out on a walk and their owners will come to us and tell us the traumatizing story of their dog foaming at the mouth and running into walls and and having fits and there was nothing they could do about it except to hopefully take them to the vet to be euthanized or to have them slowly die and when you think about that level of suffering happening to a companion animal you realise it's going on in a very, very large scale out in the wild, in regional areas, to our native animals. And then the worst part about it is it's a secondary poison. So that animal will die and then a live animal will eat that animal and they will die the same excruciating death. And there's just no reason for us to continue the use of this poison. The case is very clear that the suffering is hard to comprehend but not only that it's only a matter of time until 
uh, this poison impacts a human and it is capable of killing a human and that is the warning that we have been trying to put out there and we believe that it needs to be banned not just uh, for the sake of protecting animals but for protecting people as well, particularly young children. One argument that's always worried me is that the department tended to replace one poison with another and say, look how good we are. We're using a poison that's got an antidote. Yeah. That's if you can find the animal within 12 hours, transport it to a a vet and have the vet treat it, and then it will probably die early of kidney failure because of the effects of the whole treatment anyway. But that's not a solution, is it, replacing one poison with another? No, absolutely not. Um, And you are right. It is often the argument that comes up. We can't uh, ban 1080 without a suitable alternative poison. Death by poison is an excruciating death, no matter what sort of animal you are, whether you're a native species or an introduced species. And those animals that it's designed to target, the introduced species, they're not here because they choose to be. They're here because of human decision and, and our own fault. And I believe that we owe it to them to find a better solution. And that's exactly why we campaign for more effective alternatives to poisoning. So we're really big advocates for things like immunocontraceptives in introduced species because they're actually effective at making these animals incapable of breeding and then it reduces populations more effectively in the long term anyway. We can't just keep poisoning a few animals here and there but still allowing them to breed at rapid, rapid numbers. It does nothing to uh, reduce the amount of them that are here. So we need to look at the long game and look at ways to uh, properly properly drive down these populations uh, whilst still keeping in mind that they are still animals capable of suffering like any other animal and that we don't have to kill them in such ruthless ways. I think anyone who's seen an animal suffering from 1080 poison, and I've seen swamp wallabies in the final stages with the seizures, and it's absolutely horrific. Yeah, I think that any person who has seen the an animal suffering the effects of 1080 poisoning has their mind immediately changed, um, or anyone who is close to someone who has had it happen. And it's one of those really interesting things where unlikely people come together in agreement on this. So in Parliament, um, we're obviously very passionate advocates to banning 1080 poison, and so are the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party. Even they believe, a party built on guns and shooting and shooting of animals, even they believe that 1080 poison is bad, which I think should send a really strong message to the government that we need to do something about this. The majority of Victorians just simply don't agree with the use of it. Georgie, I thought this would be the easiest win of all time, having the final nail hammered into the coffin of 1080 poison. But it seems like we must just have too many barrels in stockpile. Yeah, the world's 187 countries, 182 of them banned 1080. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We thought it would be an easy win as well. I mean, the case to end it is very clear, but as is often the case in Victoria and across Australia, the farming community, the, the government's really beholden to them, uh, to that community. And um, often if they want to continue the use of something, they're very hard to, to convince to change their ways. And there are just too many powerful and influential people within the agricultural sec- sector who don't believe that there's any alternative to 1080 poison. And I find it really interesting because... I believe that they probably lay that poison and don't actually see the impacts of it because, as I said, there's no way that uh, anyone could actually watch an animal die that death and still be in support of it. The thing that gets me, if it was at all effective as a control method, 
Um, with the tons of the stuff that we've poured all over the state, there shouldn't be one rabbit or fox left. So it just <laughs> proves it's not an effective control method. Yeah, that's exactly right. As I always say, these communities defend some of the cruelest things that they do in such a fierce way and say that we need to do it to manage introduced species. But then if you look at the numbers of introduced species, they only continue to grow. And that's exactly why, as I said, we're really advocating for these long-term, more effective, kinder solutions that are actually cheaper, they're not damaging to the environment, and they're not harming animals. And they'll actually fix the problem. As you, as you mentioned right at the start, the secondary poisoning, there's no stopping that. And it only takes a few micrograms of 1080 poison to be absorbed by a wedgetail eagle and apparently it destroys the structure of the shell mm. on their next set of eggs. So yeah. we're losing the generation. The bird may not have absorbed enough to die, but enough to affect the strength of the shell. So we're losing the next generation of uh, wedgetail eagles. Yeah, that's right. It causes long-term damage and not just damage to other animals. There's, of course, of course the environmental impacts as well, particularly if it's laid near waterways. You just never know where it's going to un- end up and the damage that it's going to do. And in water, it remains active for the life of the substance, which they're not quite sure how long yeah. <laughs> that is. Yeah. Oh, I love scientists when you ask them a question they can't answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I absolutely love it. Georgie, I'm joking. I want to raise something very seriously with you, and I do thank you for your time, so I, I am keeping an eye on the clock. I went through the candidates being put up in this state election, and, of course, is Georgie Purcell from Coalition Against Duck Shooting, a long-time activist opposed to duck shooting and other things. I, I've just done an interview with Holly Sitters, who's uh, a candidate for Ripon. But lo and behold, there's my old mate from the Australian Wildlife Protection Council, Milton Griffiths, standing down in Ashwood. And Milton's a wonderful guy. Milton is the best. Yep. I hope he doesn't tell any stories about me. And if he does, they are all true. Um, <laughs> Then I come across Alyssa Wormald from the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance. But then the best candidate for any political party of all time. I know who this is going to be. Yes, your candidate for Mulgrave, Danielle Danielle Duck. She's going to get in. I hope she's going to get in. We'll finally get a ban on duck shooting. I know Australians. Australians will vote for Danielle and I'm so glad she's still in that monogamous relationship too. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, yes. Danielle Duck is a very fierce advocate for her community in Mulgrave and is a regular down at the Mulgrave wetland. And, of course, she's campaigning uh, to ban duck shooting in Victoria and running in the same seat as our Premier, Daniel Andrews, who is one of our last roadblocks in terms of banning duck shooting. But she's, in fact, a placeholder for a candidate that we will announce on the 1st of November, who is an incredible duck rescuer and advocate for our native water birds. And we're very, very excited to be having them run as a candidate. Oh, it's going to have to be a good nomination to outdo Danielle. People She's... might want her back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what type of legal ramifications it would be, uh, but it could sabotage the sitting Premier's own seat, that's for sure. Yeah, that's be... right. voted by a fictional character yeah i mean there was a a town in america that elected a cat as a mayor when they couldn't decide so maybe it's possible she won me straight away people listening to this might think what are they talking about 
the website. Oh, look, just type in, folks, into your search engine, AJP Vic. That'll do it. Or Animal Justice Party Victoria candidates. And scroll down to a wonderful photo of Danielle Duck, the candidate for Mulgrave. (laughs) (laughs) And read the profile. (laughs) Hey, listen, I'd like to end up with a quick one for you. Yeah. I would just be doing a disservice if I didn't allow you to voice your opinion on the recreational shooting of ducks. Yes. Thank you very much for asking me. I'm sure my answer will be shocking. Um, I'm a long-term and very staunch advocate for banning recreational duck shooting in Victoria. I think it is a disgrace that we're one of the final states to continue um, what is a essentially a slaughter on a protected species for three months of the year and um, for, for nine months of the year their home is a sanctuary and then just one day they wake up and are blasted to death in their own homes and as I wrote in Danielle Duck's profile one of the things that most is most disturbing to me about duck shooting is that many many species of native ducks in Victoria are monogamous so by shooting ducks we're not just injuring and killing them we're actually tearing apart lifelong families and we can do so much better I think particularly with so many Victorians not just in the city but in the country too desperate for a ban on duck shooting the Animal Justice Party will continue to make banning duck shooting our priority if we're re-elected in the next parliament and hopefully we're there with a bigger and stronger team and can finally get it across the line. I want duck shooting banned because I think it is terribly cruel um, and and absolutely awful, but I also really, really want to allow Laurie Levy to retire. Uh, we owe it to him, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> Georgie, thank you so much. Now, look, if people have any comments or thoughts and want to see what you're up to, the, the easiest way is just to go to their Facebook, open up the search Bar and and type in Georgie Purcell, AJ. Yeah, that's right. Georgie Purcell, Animal Justice Party candidate for Northern Victoria. And I'm also on Instagram at georgie.purcell.ajp. And I'm always more than happy to hear from people from the animal rescue community or the people in Northern Victoria. A lot of people might think I know that name other than Duck Rescue and other things. Of course, you were the chief of staff for Andy for four years, weren't you? Yes, and still am. I'm just on leave right now. So the goal is to get back in there together as MPs. But if not, um, and Andy's re-elected, I'll be back at my post as Chief Staff for another four years. Thank you very much, Georgie. (laughs) Thanks, Rob. Once again, more information on Georgie and the Animal Justice Party, go to vic.animaljusticeparty.org. This might seem like a unpaid political announcement it's not the animal justice party for a long time has stood up for australian native wildlife this program is dedicated to the animals and the advocates the carers the rescuers and all those involved in the care welfare of our native wildlife to finish up i caught up with Alyssa from the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance. Since we haven't been to air due to the floods, we thought we'd catch up with the World Kangaroo Day events and some other issues which uh, we were talking about on previous programs. The wonderful Alyssa, this interview was recorded late last night, and I do mean late last night, 
Alyssa is also a candidate for the Animal Justice Party. And with the election looming ever so close, there's not enough hours in the day. Alyssa, thank you so much for sparing the time. Alyssa, a busy week started off with uh, Kangaroo Day, which was a great success. Can you tell us a little bit about your activities? Yeah, so we um, we hosted a screening of Kangaroo, a love-hate story uh, with uh, Wildlife Victoria. So at the end, we had a Q&A with Lisa Palmer, who's the CEO of Wildlife Victoria, and also um, Greg from Kangaroos Alive. And he came down from New South Wales to be part of that Q&A, uh, which is really, really good. And it was good to have Lisa confirming that the industry looks just the same in Victoria as it does in the footage involved on that show. And then after that, we had a pretty last minute event on the Monday because we held that on the Sunday. And then on the Monday, we did an event with the AJP where they got quite a few candidates. We all stood on the steps of Parliament House with all of our banners, um, our big signs and everything, and did some outreach, handed out a heap of flyers that sort of thing. So yeah, it was good. It was yeah, tiring couple of days, but you know, it's it's great to have that spotlight on the issue for for people who don't live and breathe the cause like we do. It was good to see on Monday uh, my old mate, a former committee man of the Australian Wildlife Protection Council and uh, AJP candidate in this forthcoming election, Milton Griffiths, there uh, with you on the steps of Parliament. Yeah, look, Milton's fantastic and he's he's come to quite a few of our protests. So, yeah, it was wonderful to have him there. Really nice. There's been a lot happening, a lot of media, some good letters. I also saw your Facebook Live broadcast from the yeah. steps that you did, which it was really, really good. Got a pressure on the European Parliament to ban kangaroo products. Any news on that or what's your feelings? Yeah, look, I mean, that... That's a result of some really outstanding um, advocacy that's been um, driven by Kangaroos Alive along with you know, international partner organisations who've stood up for kangaroos, which is so important. You know, we, I feel that the, the involvement of the international community is so essential on this topic. And so there were three petitioners that petitioned the EU Parliament looking at sustainability, uh, welfare and also hygiene. And there was then a little bit of debate amongst amongst the members. The commissioner basically, <laughs> I was tearing my hair out listening to the commissioner basically because it was all out of the industry playbook, like, oh, but if we're not importing them, they're going to get killed anyway. It's like, mm, no, no, they won't. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I, I feel that the Victorian example where average combined quotas have tripled since commercialisation, you know, should be obvious proof that the commercial incentive increases the killing, which should be obvious in any case. So that was frustrating. And then there was a couple of other speeches, including uh, two, two women who spoke, and they were just fantastic, talking about, you know, the responsibility to ensure that the products coming into the EU are responsibly sourced and safe. And I felt that they were really positive. And as I understand it, the ultimate decision was that the debate would continue. So that's a good thing that it wasn't entirely thrown out. 
nothing was decided, but the debate is continuing. So there's there's hope that it will go further. I'm not sure about the next steps, but definitely hopeful because I know that there is quite a lot of support within the EU to ban the import of kangaroo products in the same way that they they banned the import of, of seal products from Canada, except under, I, I believe the circumstances are that they would only only have imports from Native American uh, processing. I'm not quite sure how it works, but they basically crippled the seal industry by banning imports through the EU. So I'm really hopeful that they'll do the same for us. <laughs> And watch watch this space, yeah. Since we last chatted, there's been changes to the Victorian kangaroo killing quota system. A couple of zones have been knocked mm-hmm. out, I believe. Yeah, and they did it so quietly. <laughs> so, yeah, we found out because of an article in the Loddon Herald and um, we're going, oh, what's this? The quotas have been cut. It wasn't released anywhere. It was really hush-hush. There's just a little bit on one of the government pages showing a reduction in two zones, so in the lower Wimmera and in the northeast shooting zone. And both those zones are quite big. So Victoria split into seven shooting zones. So two out of the seven constitutes a fair chunk of the state um, where the quotas have been cut. And that coincided with the aerial surveys that are being done. And um, essentially, Delwick confirmed to Michael Dahlstrom from Yahoo, this was in an article that he put out, that it was due to the numbers being low that those quotas were cut, which is what we presumed because the quota cut coincided with that aerial survey. The, The problem with this is that these two zones, they sort of circle the central zone. And the central zone, you know, makes up all of Central Bic and around the sort of peri-urban parts of Melbourne. And that's where a lot of kangaroos actually are. Uh, so, uh, you know, you can drive through the northern suburbs and you may actually see kangaroos as opposed to other parts of Victoria. And so the concern that was raised was that closing those zones would then increase pressure on the central zone where there's already been a huge amount of killing and the killing happening quite close to people's homes and businesses. And sure enough, I've seen a post from a shooter essentially saying, oh, well, they've closed this zone, so I'm going to, you know, start shooting for Seymour now. So we know that they are going to be putting more pressure on the central zone which is really worrying because it is such a hot spot already and also where we're seeing so many wounded kangaroos left behind as well in that central zone and you know the rescuers there are flat out as it is and they really don't need any more people coming in and maiming kangaroos and orphaning joeys. AJP put out a, uh, a call for a moratorium on the not only the commercial shooting of kangaroos here in Victoria, but also a moratorium on the wildlife control permits because of the floods. I mean, we're getting so many reports of kangaroos surviving the floods, but the joeys are found dead in the pouches. They've drowned. Have you heard anything about this moratorium? So as of now, there's still no moratorium. And um, we completely support AJP's call for a moratorium. um, And we issued a media release with the same request. Also, Wildlife Vic and Animals Australia as well have called for a moratorium. And the reason being that, you know, this really is a massive disaster, massive disaster for wildlife. And as you say, we're seeing so many 
Joey's drowned in the, in the pouch. And we have no idea about the consequences, you know, for kangaroos in general, like what's happened to the smaller ones that get washed away, you know, what's what's been the, the impact of um, stress myopathy uh, throughout all these events or dog attacks or car strikes because the floodwaters have pushed the kangaroos into unsuitable areas where they're coming into contact, getting pushed onto roads or into residential estates and all these sorts of things. So we really don't know. And uh, Lisa Palmer from Wildlife Fic has said as well that the impact on kangaroos is massive and, you know, the, the actual number remains to be seen, but we know that it's bad and in the same way that we knew the fires was bad. And so it's just incomprehensible that, you know, people are going to so much effort trying to help wildlife in this crisis, but meanwhile they're still out there shooting and maiming them profit and convenience. So pretty shocking really we know to our north and to our northwest there's a lot of commercial shooting taking place i just don't know what i'm going to do when the shooters turn up over my back fence Mm. Uh, whatever i do i know i'm going to end up being arrested yeah heaven help those shooters is all i can say yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i have no option Mm. Uh, there's no way i'm going to stand there and let them i don't care if they've got permits and, and and you know i don't care if you've got dan andrews actually with them driving the ute <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take them out they're not going to shoot my ruse that's for sure but oh, you've got no chance there's nothing i can do to stop them legally i'm supposed to stand there and let them blow away our remnant population of kangaroos in central victoria that, that ain't gonna happen and this is the thing like you know, the kangaroos are so beloved to so many people and they have no rights. Like that's that's the truly shocking thing about it. You know, those residents have no rights, uh, you know, whether it be that they love them and watch them every day with their family or whether it be that they're part of the appeal of their ecotourism business, there's just nothing that they can do. And this is a problem that we've had. I know that you spoke to Sarah from Greenvale who saw them shooting kangaroos right near her home and we couldn't get media to cover that. Because it's legal. Mm. And they're like, oh, well, if it was illegal, then it would be a story. And I was like, eh, no, the fact that it is legal for them to shoot what should be protected wildlife next to a residential estate and that's legal, I'm like that's a story in my mind. It's like, why is that legal? You know, why is it legal to traumatise people like that whilst obliterating, cruelly obliterating such a beautiful Indigenous species and feeding their heads to the foxes. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a bananas country. Really, it is. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's coming. We know that they're not going to stop until they've just about wiped out every kangaroo in the state because the commercial industry needs the carcasses. Yeah. I need to do an update for our website of the soliciting, you know, because it, it's just outrageous that the shooters are so desperate for kangaroos that they're just posting left, right and centre looking for properties to shoot on. Mm. And even then, they're not getting remotely close to their quotas. Like, you know, we saw with their recent mid-year, mid-year quotas that um, they're not even remotely close. I think there was around 31% of the quotas so far that they've gotten um, at mid-year. So, and that's with all that soliciting. <laughs> so there's just simply not as many kangaroos around as they're saying that's obvious the problem is up north northwest those areas they've been depleted of kangaroos 
the kangaroos are being pushed south. They're being pushed off their natural range, which causes all types of welfare issues for the kangaroos. But it's also concentrating them in, in areas where there hasn't been large numbers of kangaroos. It's not because the kangaroo numbers are increasing. It's because the commercial shooting is actually driving them into a concentrated area. Mm-hmm. Then people will say, well, listen, you know, there's got to be a problem because normally we have 10 or 12 roos in the back paddock and we've got 30. Mm. Yes, population explosion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, Biologically and impossible, but yeah. Don't worry about that. Don't let that get in the way of a good story. Uh, that's yeah. the basis of the kangaroo industry. And um, then suddenly people are ringing up those shooters and saying, or what's worse, they're ringing up the Department of Conservation, DELP, and saying, can I have a permit to shoot 20 kangaroos? They say, well, you, you don't want to shoot them, just get in the commercial shooter. Yeah, and it's so easy. They can be booked like over three minutes over the Service Victoria app is what they say. Yeah. Um, and no permits, no payments, no nothing. So recently I, I have a thing where, you know, you, you ask the government questions about things and they don't answer them. So you get flung around from department to department or you get given like standard answers that don't actually answer the question. Anyway, recently I got two Two answers to questions, which is very exciting. And I'm yet to get them out online, but I will. So one of them is that they confirmed that shooters do not need to tell residents that they're going to be shooting near their properties. So there is no requirement for shooters to tell anyone. The other one was that they are not doing any unplanned inspections. So any of the inspections that are done um, of shooters will be with the shooter's prior knowledge. So, <laughs> so which is a good thing. I'm so know. glad they're not doing any unplanned visits. They could discover something. Yeah, um, they, they may actually see tidy. something. Yeah. I know, go figure, right? Um, but, yeah, so very uh, interesting because last year they were doing some last year, so they, they did four last year unplanned inspections and then this year they were no longer recording it on their quarterly reports and so I said oh why is that and then they confirmed that it was because they're not doing any unplanned inspections anymore so yeah highly regulated they say (laughs) it's just it it really does beg a belief doesn't it (laughs) okay a planned inspection right Mm. That would have to take place outside of office hours. Yes. The department can't afford to do that. Yeah, well, they certainly don't do many. You know, it's a minuscule number compared to the numbers of kangaroos being killed. The numbers of even planned its inspections are tiny. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just what what are they going to find on a planned inspection? They're going to be on their best behaviour, right? They're not, yeah, it, I just had a thought, though. Perhaps what we could do is adjust the shooting system so the kangaroo shooters can only shoot during office hours. Mm. <laughs> at, at nine to five, five days yeah. a week. So the department officers would be available to observe what they're doing. Oh, gosh, no, that would involve them actually leaving the office. Well, two of them, <laughs> two of them do once a week here in Victoria anyway, I believe. Heaven forbid. 
But, but I don't know. Uh, that should keep the killing industry happy. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's just minimal. Like, I just, it drives me crazy when people say, oh, but there's a code of practice that they have to abide by. Says who? There's no one there. There is no one there. And, and what people seem to miss is, of all the documentation, they've removed a word. Several years ago, in front of that title was the word voluntary. Ah, well, it still is. Like a code of practice isn't enforceable by law. No, that's right. It's a voluntary code of practice. Oh, well, that's actually the other thing that we had through recently was um, the, the POCTA review to the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act is up for review and we all had to do submissions, which, frankly, I would never have gotten done without um, the AJP advocacy manager, Nat Coppas, who's just a phenomenal, phenomenal human being um, <laughs> because I was so short on time and she helped me so much. But the, the irony with that is, like, it's great. So they're looking at acknowledging sentience, which is fabulous. But then these laws, there, there's so many exemptions that it doesn't, it's not going to sort of markedly change the lives of the animals that are most in need of protection, including wildlife, because Kangaroos are killed under the Wildlife Act, which is exempt from POCTA. So prevention of cruelty to animals has no bearing over the treatment of, of kangaroos. Don't tell people that. <laughs> it's the only defence we have, of course. In fact, I only did a, a one-page submission. Mine was easy. I just, you know, I always refer to POCTA section 91A and C about it's an offence to do something to an animal. It's also offence not to do something or not do something to relieve pain and suffering of an animal, which mm -hmm. is commonly called the Good Samaritan Clause. Yeah. And uh, my submission just wanted that enhanced. Yeah. Really state that a person will be charged if they don't do something to relieve the pain and suffering of an animal. Yeah, so, they don't render assistance. Yeah. It's, it should be should just be obvious, like be a good human kind of thing, but obviously it should be stipulated. But, I mean, I didn't do a very long, I didn't, mine was four pages, I think, but it's just been life has been so hectic, I think, for everyone <laughs> that, it, you know, it, I would have liked to have done a bit more detail. But then again, it doesn't really relate to kangaroos because, again, they're exempt. So the main thing that I was doing was just saying, again, Kangaroos are exempt and they're the ones that, you know, well, one of many animals that desperately need to be protected under this act. It's insanity. Mm. It's sad. Like, I mean, it, it's a step in the right direction, but, you know, it's just painfully slow to get, you know, genuine protection for the animals that need it the most. Tonight I've interviewed two members of the Animal Justice Party. Another candidate I'm talking to now. I wish you all the best. <laughs> I really Thank do. You. It's a brave move, but there is only one party that is standing up or doing anything to help uh, our animals. And uh, I noticed that um, the Coalition Against Duck Shooting has put together a package calling for people to vote one AJP to stop yeah. duck shooting. So, yeah. uh, you know, I saw that on Facebook and also it's appearing as a television ad apparently. So... Yeah, yeah, which is wonderful. Yeah, I mean, the I, message, it's, it's a straightforward message. Uh, Labor had a policy to stop duck shooting. They said they'd stop duck shooting, but no one heard them say, you know, one day <laughs> or maybe 
or whatever, some little word they put on the end, you know. And um, what we've done for Victorian Kangaroo Alliance is we've put together a little election scorecard. Uh, it's on our How to Help page on the website. We haven't sort of put it on social media yet because I'm still kind of hanging around wondering if I'm going to get any other parties respond. But we, we got four parties that responded and they're all, all parties that are fairly supportive, which is good in the sense that it shows it shows quite clearly where these parties stand on the priorities that matter to kangaroo people. And it's just got a little footnote being like, well, Labor and Liberal both in their time in, in office have overseen the, the persecution and exploitation of kangaroos. But, yeah, so it's helpful. I found it helpful in the sense of knowing where the different parties stood on different things. So people might like to check that out as well. And I, I will eventually put it up on social media, but it's on our website. So I'd find that at, what, vickangas.org? Yep, vickangas.org, and um, then click on how to help. Alyssa, try and grab some sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> at some point. <laughs> at, yeah, at some point. A, yeah. a very busy time. Uh, lead up to the election, thank you for being involved. Uh, any person that puts their name forward gets a tick in my book because it's a, a, a big commitment. It makes it easier when you're standing with the uh, Animal Justice Party because it's just a reflection of your work with the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance anyway and yeah. your commitment to wildlife over the years. We'll chat again soon. We've just had to do this catch-up. There's so many little things that have happened since we last spoke. Yeah, so many, so many bits and pieces. It's hard to keep up, isn't it? Yeah. But, yeah, you guys look after yourselves out there and I, I hope that things settle down with the floodwaters soon. Not a problem. Thank you very much, Alyssa. Thanks, Rob. VicKangas.org. Okay, folks, and there we have it, the Aussie Animal Show on this wet, cold Thursday here in Victoria, Australia. For our international listeners, the floods have reached record heights. The levels have never been seen before, and there's a number of towns inundated. There's been wildlife shelters that have been inundated. Uh, all those carers, shelter operators and rescuers have been working flat out in very cold, wet, and often dangerous conditions to all you people out there take care this is the wildlife <laughs>